Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach Cronin, and I'm thrilled that you would choose to spend a couple of minutes here with me today. Um, this is actually the first video episode of the podcast. So um, if you are watching this on YouTube, I want to thank you very much. And if I do come off a little awkward on camera, um, please do not cyber bully me. This is the first time that I've ever been on camera really like this. And uh, that's actually not my biggest fear. My biggest fear is my phone running out of memory while recording this because I, that's just something that that would happen to me. I mean, that's just how my life goes. Um, but you know what? Whatever happens, happens. How's everybody doing today? Are you doing well? I'm looking at you. Yes, you. I hope you're having a fantastic week, fantastic day, fantastic 2020, or at least as fantastic as 2020 can be. Um, I don't know if you could tell, but like, I'm very excited. Very, very, very fucking excited because Wednesday, September 30th, we have the very first game of the 2020 NBA Finals. It's a moment that I don't know how many of us were expecting to be at because with the whole um, pandemic and everything, the league being shut down for how long? Four months from March 15th or so up until July 31st to make it all the way through August, all the way through September, play eight bubble games, get through three rounds of the postseason, and there not be one positive COVID test is just the NBA did a phenomenal job with this. I really want to just congratulate and just salute Adam Silver and everybody up at the league office who coordinated this. Of course, shout out to uh, Walt Disney World, the folks over at Disney for accommodating the NBA. And again, I cannot stress this enough. I was super skeptical about the NBA restart. And yet we've made it through thus far. No hiccups, no blemishes. I also want to just give a shout out to the players and the coaches who, for the most part, there were a couple couple people who um, broke bubble protocol. Uh, Daniel House, Rashawn Holmes, of course, for two different reasons. <laughs> we're not going to get into that, though. Just I want to just, again, give a shout out to all the players who did what they were supposed to do and really sacrificed. Everybody made sacrifices coming into the NBA bubble. They really left their lives behind, left their families behind, all for the chance to compete for a championship. And I think those guys should be um, commended, I guess. I guess commended is the right word for just having to spend all this time in <laughs> Orlando, Florida, the, one of the epicenters of the COVID outbreak as well, which is just, I mean, it's really a marvel. I cannot begin to just comprehend how just I don't like I'm struggling I'm struggling to find the the words to articulate here because I really did not think it would get this far and now starting tomorrow or today when you're listening to this we'll have the final round of the NBA postseason and we will crown a champion for the 2019-2020 NBA season and this is perhaps the most unlikely the most unlikeliest matchup most unlikeliest most unlikely, most unlikely matchup. We have the Los Angeles Lakers representing the Western Conference, and they're going up against the Miami Heat, who came out of the East just absurdly. Um, before we get into all this, 
I want to just touch on what the Miami Heat did to get here. Their run is nothing short of magical, remarkable. I don't want to say that it's historic, historical or whatever, because I don't know if it is. I don't know if they are the lowest seed to ever reach in NBA Finals, but the fifth seed in the East, I mean, they they ran through the Indiana Pacers, walked all over the Milwaukee Bucks, and then grinded it out, just gutted, just gutted through this fantastic series against the Boston Celtics to be at this spot. And the Lakers, of course, being the number one seed in the West, um, they had a lot of expectations. You know, LeBron and AD are leading this team, hoping to bring a title back to the City of Angels in what has been quite possibly the worst year that many of us have lived through. Um, California, in particular, has been hit quite hard with the pandemic, uh, just wildfires. I mean, they're they're really going through it right now, and I want to just make sure that everybody out there is staying safe and staying healthy, both physically and mentally, during this challenging time. But quite possibly, above all else, what really hangs over not only the Lakers organization, but the NBA as a whole, is the passing of Kobe Bryant earlier this year. Um, many of us took that moment very, um, very hard. It was it was a difficult time for the NBA family, both players, coaches, and fans. I mean, it was just it was a very difficult time, and still is a very difficult time for a lot of people, just knowing what Kobe Bryant meant to really everybody. I mean, it seems that there's not one person who is either involved in the NBA or follows it that has not been impacted by Kobe Bryant and the Lakers being able to potentially bring home a title would really just be arguably the best thing that has happened all year long. And I say that wholeheartedly. It would be just a tearful moment, um, just a very joyous moment for everybody involved. And to get there, they're probably going to have to play the best basketball that they've played all all year long. And I say this having been quite skeptical about the Lakers for pretty much um, the entire postseason. Up to this point, they've lost only three games. They are, what is that, 12-3? and three? They have faced, I don't want to say they faced minimal resistance going up against uh, the Blazers, Rockets, and Nuggets, but the series outcomes, I mean... It, if you're just looking at that, you would think that the Lakers have been dominant all postseason long. And to a degree, that is true. However, they have had some hiccups, especially against Denver. Denver just gave them a lot of issues despite the series only going five games. Now, I'm going to head over to um, just the series stats real fast. So... The Lakers won the series with an average margin of victory of about, what is that, three? Three and a half? 119.6, well, 113.6 minus 109.2. That's about four, actually, if my math serves me correctly. Um, really, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray just ascended to another level. Um, they got a lot of help from Jeremy Grant as well, who showed up. I think he had 25 in, uh, what was that, game five? Game four? Uh, I forget what game it was, but Jeremy Grant 
played fantastic basketball, averaged about 16 points for the series, and then Murray and Jokic, of course, gave about 40, what is that, 46, nearly 47 points combined. Of course, the main reason Denver did not come out on top is because of two guys, and they are LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And that is to be said about the Rockets and the Blazers. The Lakers have been so successful this postseason on the shoulders of James and AD. Really, nobody else has <laughs> been been there to help them. I'm gonna pull up the Lakers playoff stats. Oh, hold on, I don't know how to I don't know how to work the computer. Just give me uh, give me two seconds here. Just. Wow, I really just stopped working. My brain just stopped working for two seconds. I don't I don't know what happened there. I'm just going to pull up, again, we pull up the Lakers postseason stats. So Anthony Davis right now is at a shade under 29 points per game. LeBron is at about 27. They do not have a third double-digit score. I mean, they do have a third double-digit score, but they don't have like a third guy who they can consistently lean on. As of right now, this guy is Kyle Kuzma, who is averaging a scorching, 10.5 points per game. After that, KCP's at about 10 as well. Rajon Rondo, who has been fantastic for them. Shout out to Rajon Rondo, for real. He's been just exceptional on both ends of the court. Danny Green, Dwight Howard. Really, again, the Lakers' depth is a major concern for me, and it has been a major concern for me ever since the playoffs started. And LeBron and AD are only going to take you so far, right? As fantastic as these as these two guys are, I do not think that they will be able to win this finals by themselves. Um, I don't know if that is giving it away, but as of today, at the time of this recording, I am picking the Miami Heat to upset the Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA Finals. Now, let me elaborate on this. The Miami Heat have a shot to bring a title down to South Beach. But by no means are they title favorites. If I'm looking at it, it is 51-49 in favor of Miami at this point. The Lakers have a legitimate shot to also bring home the title. But again, in order to do that, they're going to have to get a lot more production from everybody else. The bench is really going to have to step up. LeBron... And AD, we know what they're going to do. They're going to give you about 50 points a night. LeBron is going to average near a triple-double because he's LeBron James, and that that's just what he does. He puts up numbers, and he shows up in moments like this. Anthony Davis, I expect nothing less from him as well. He's just going to, I don't know, he's going to eat. I mean, he's too talented not to eat. No disrespect to Bam Adebayo or Jay Crowder, but I don't know how... I don't, I don't know how much they're going to slow down AD. I mean, this dude is just on another level right now. But I'm looking at Rondo. I'm looking at Danny Green. I'm looking at Kyle Kuzma. These guys are going to have to give at least 30 points a night between them. Rajon Rondo is going to have to add to that as well. But I'm not really so concerned about him because he has he's just been fantastic as a playmaker, averaging about seven assists in 10 games. And he's been really disruptive on the defensive end. And the Lakers are going to need that going up against Miami. Now, Miami is quite literally the exact opposite of the Lakers. While Los Angeles is pushed forward because they're two, they're two superstars, more or less, Miami operates with 
one star, that guy being Jimmy Butler, who I don't consider Jimmy Butler a superstar, but he is an elite NBA player. They have made this postseason run on depth. That's That's been their MO. They've just gotten so much production from pretty much everybody in the rotation. I'm just going to, again, head to their basketball reference page. They have, at any given time, seven guys who can make plays. And that is pretty much all of Eric Spolstra's rotation. When it gets this deep into the playoffs, you're only going to go with your best six, seven, maybe eight guys. That's if you have eight guys to even trot out there. A team like the Lakers, it's very iffy. It's very situational. Who like Who's going to be out there for them? They have some quality play- players off the bench. I'm not trying to knock JaVale. I'm not trying to knock Dwight. I'm not trying to knock really anybody on the bench. But the fact of the matter is they're going to have to elevate themselves. LeBron is only going to attribute so much to that or contri- contribute so much to that. Pardon me. I mean, the Heat definitely have the edge as far as depth is concerned. And let me just let me just pull this up for you. So as I said, the the Lakers, not the Heat, the Lakers have three guys averaging double digits. The Heat have six. Six. All of whom are averaging anywhere between 11 and 21 points per game. Goran Dragic and Jimmy Butler leading the charge at about, they're, well, they're at 20.9 and 20.7 respectively. The, Eric Spolster is also getting about 19 points a night from Bam Adebayo. 17 from Tyler Hero, who popped off in the Eastern Conference Finals and really saved that series for them. I'll look into the camera and say this. Tyler Hero really pushed Miami over the edge. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm expecting similar production from him in the finals. I mean, this kid, regardless of what Paul Pierce says, Tyler Tyler Hero is a bucket, and the Lakers are going to have to treat him like one. This dude showed that when he gets hot, he's hot. So he's going to play a big role in this. Then you get Jay Crowder averaging 12 points a game, Duncan Robinson averaging 11. The thing with the Heat is that they are so well-balanced from top to bottom, right? Those six guys right there are going to be on the court for pretty much the whole game. Some combination of them is going to be out there. Off the bench, the big guy to look out for, Andre Iguodala. Made some big plays against Boston. Hasn't really gotten that much time. He's seeing about 20 minutes a game across 15 games. But I think that just his um, his veteran presence and him being in the finals before is going to pay dividends for Miami. And having matched up against LeBron a couple of times in the past, that's going to give them another edge because they have someone who, I mean, knows how to go up against a guy like LeBron. And I'm sure that Jimmy Butler and Jay Crowder are going to draw those assignments on LeBron. But really just any... Any additional piece of information you can get going up against an all-time great who, as someone, or hold on, let me backpedal, the, <laughs> any just edge you can gain and any little bit of information going up against someone like LeBron is invaluable, really. Um, the one thing that concerns me, and I know the Lakers were 2-0 and against Miami in the regular season. I know their most recent game, which most recent back in, what was it? It was probably back in like February or January. I think it was December, actually. Um, I could be I could be um, misremembering that, but 
the game when the Heat won, not the Heat lost by three. I think the final was 113 110. Miami, again, has a legitimate shot to win the finals. I'm going to say again, looking right into the camera. Miami can pull this off. They have the talent, they have the experience, they have the coaching, they have the game plan to pull it off. Of course, the only thing they don't have, LeBron James. That's why I'm not all in on Miami because I've voted against LeBron James in the past. And what does he do? He comes out and just shits on everybody. However, as I've matured, right? I'm about going to be 24 years old in about two weeks. I'm an old man now, basically. I'm pretty much a boomer, right? As I've grown up and as I've watched more and more NBA finals, this, the deeper team, more often than not, pulls out the victory. I mean, the one exception that I've seen was back in, what was that, 2016, when um, LeBron and Kyrie just had that historic comeback against the Golden State Warriors. That's the one exception. Other than that, I mean, it's been the deeper, more complete team that has won the finals. Of course, there has been some luck involved. I'm looking at the Raptors last year, going up against a Warriors team that was without Klay Thompson for the last couple of games of the series, I believe. You get a little lucky there, but also that Raptors team was as talented as the Golden State Warriors were. I mean, they had Kawhi, they had Pascal, they had Kyle Lowry, and like that's that unit speaks for itself. But I think the Lakers are going to have a very difficult time matching up against Miami because, as I mentioned, they have a bunch of playmakers. Jimmy Butler, Dragic, Bam. Uh, hero, all of these guys can make plays for themselves and for others. And I I, just, I don't think the Lakers will be able to adequately defend these guys all the time. And I'm actually just going to head over to NBA.com because I want to pull up the, um, the defensive stats for the postseason. So this is going by um, per 100 possessions. So the Lakers have the fifth best defense this playoff, these playoffs. Miami is, where is Miami? Miami is seventh. So they're about neck and neck in that regard. The Lakers defense has looked pretty good at times this year. I will give them that. Of course, a lot of it is because of Anthony Davis, a defensive player of the year candidate, but they're going to be winning games on their offense. They have the most, second most prolific offense, actually, behind only the Utah Jazz, who averaged 120 points per 100 possessions against, uh, what is it, against who is it, the Denver Nuggets? That's ridiculous. The Lakers at 115.6. That has been sustained for pretty much the length of the postseason. Like, again, this is just going back to Anthony Davis and how on he's been for, I'd say, 90% of the playoffs. Like, the we did see him kind of take his foot off the gas against Houston, going up against um, P.J. Tucker, but... When as soon as Anthony Davis decides that he wants to be the best player on the court, he's gonna start playing like it. Like he's that kind of dude. He's got the repertoire to really not be slowed down by anybody. I mean, dude's damn near seven feet tall, has a nine and a half foot wingspan or whatever it is, is a menace on the block when he wants to be, can pull up from three at times, or at least shoot from three at times. I wouldn't necessarily say that he's a pull up three point shooter, but he can catch and shoot, can play in the mid range. I mean, super strong, can take anybody 
to the rim. He's been the driving force of this Lakers offense. Um, LeBron has taken a little bit of a backseat when he's needed to. There have been, of course, those moments where he's come alive. I think he had 38 or something um, against the Denver Nuggets. Let me just fact check that real fast. You know, that was game seven. I don't, yeah, I don't remember how many points it was exactly. I'm trying to get there right now. But I, like, he was the guy. Yeah, 38. He had, oh shit, he had 38 16. I think he had a triple double. I don't remember exactly because I fell asleep. Like, with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. I don't know what happened. I just fell asleep. I woke up 20 minutes later and I looked at my phone. I was like, oh, the, the game's over. The fucking game ended. I was like, all right, whatever. I guess I really am a boomer. But yeah, he had 38, 16, and 10. AD, again, 27 points on 8 of 16 shooting. But final for this game, 117, 107. 11 points from Danny Green. 11 points from Alex Caruso. That's great production. Fantastic production from those two. Dwight Howard also had 9 points in 35 minutes. Pretty good. Pretty good from Dwight. The rest of the team, however, oh, also 8 points from Rondo in 13 minutes. That's... If they could get that from Rondo, that would be ideal. However, Kuzma only had eight points, shot three of seven from the field. Markeith Morris had only one made shot in 15 minutes. Like, I want to see these guys consistently put up any like at least five, seven points a night. If they're going to be getting limited playing time, they need to make the most of their opportunities. That's just how, that's the only way I see them counteracting Miami's depth is that they are equally as deep. Although they might not be as talented, you know, just make open shots. I know it's easy for me to say, <laughs> sitting down at this desk, not in the NBA bubble, but these guys are role players. They're professionals. They know what they have to do. And they're gonna, their supplemental production is going to have to be damn near perfect, again, because the Lakers don't have that third guy. They don't have a Lou Williams. They don't have a Tyler Hero. They don't have... A bam. I know I said Lou Williams, but that's who I think would be a perfect fit for the Lakers. Someone who can just do everything for them behind AD and LeBron. Just make plays, score. I mean, shit, even someone like Goran Dragic. I know Dragic has been arguably the go-to guy for Miami, but he's so fluid in his roles that it's kind of tough to label him because... Yeah, he can put points up when no one else is scoring. He can create his own shot. He can get to the free throw line. He can create for others. But him being able to shoot from the perimeter, ooh, pardon me, and just be like an ancillary ball handler really makes the offense so much more dynamic. And he's been a huge piece for them throughout this playoff run. The numbers show it. I mean, as great as Jimmy Butler has been, he has not been, you know, fantastic. He really, he's not playing at the level that we know he can reach. Jimmy Butler, at his best, is averaging like 25, maybe not 25, probably like 23, 6-6, six and six, shooting anywhere from 36 to 39% from the free throw line. Like, he's an all-NBA caliber player. And this is also while checking your best player. So, him getting all this extra production, it's like, I don't want to make it sound like it's not, it's not even really detrimental. It's just... It's allowed him to not play at that level all the time. And if Jimmy Butler isn't creating a majority of the offense, guess what? He has more energy to put on defense. And when 
against, especially against a team like Boston or Milwaukee, he's going to be guarding Jason Tatum. He's going to be guarding Chris Middleton. He's going to be guarding an elite scorer in this series. He's probably going to be guarding LeBron James a lot of the time. As I think I said this already, but I'm anticipating Eric Spolstra throwing Jay Crowder and Jimmy Butler at LeBron for pretty much 80%, 80-90% of the time. Those guys are the most physically capable, and they have the talent to compete on the defensive end. I think Bam is going to be stuck on AD for a lot of the times. Um, that's really that's that's really it. Duncan Robinson, I don't know. He's probably going to guard Kyle Kuzma, but maybe Miami will be switching a fair amount of times. I mean, it, it really depends. I think that they're also going to play a lot of zone. The zone, if I remember correctly, really threw Boston for a loop. And as we've seen in the past, an NBA team that deploys a solid zone, it messes up whatever the opponent's doing because NBA players are simply not used to seeing it. Like, I don't know what the exact number is, but I wouldn't be shocked if most NBA teams run man 95% of the time. I mean, outside of really, and I'm only saying this because I watch them all the time, but the Brooklyn Nets ran a healthy amount of zone this past season. The Heat have been doing it with great success in the playoffs, and I think that's going to be I think that's going to be huge for them because I'm just looking at the Lakers shooting numbers. The Lakers are at 35 and a half percent for the playoffs. I mean, that's pretty average. Like, average is about. I mean, if we're taking the Rockets as the average because they placed eighth out of 16, they shot 36.2 percent. The average really is about 35. The Lakers are an average team from the perimeter, at least as far as the playoffs are concerned. So Miami could get away with running probably 35 to 40% of their defensive possessions as zone because the Lakers might not be able to capitalize on it. Really, the biggest detriment to anybody running a zone, and you know this if you've played or coached basketball, is that it's not a viable option against a team that shoots the three at a high clip. Uh, let's see. The Celtics. Perfect, perfect case. In 17 games, in 17 playoff games, they shot 34% from three. The Lakers don't really have a lights-out marksman on their team. I mean, I know Danny Green has done some things in the past, but I'm just going to pull up. Again, I'm going to pull up the stats. Where are they at? Right now, Rondo is their best volume three-point shooter at 45%. Technically, it's Quinn Cook who's shot one of two in his four appearances, but I'm not going to count that. Markeith Morris, 43%. KCP, 42%. And then, really, there's there's nobody else who is like, okay, we have to defend this guy on the perimeter. Anthony Davis is at about 37%, but that's I don't want to say it's a fluke because he has improved in that area, but we don't know if he's going to be able to maintain that through the finals. Danny Green, for all the shitting on him that we do, and by we, I mean the internet, he has maintained 36% overall. I mean, LeBron has been passable at 35. Kuzma's just been trash. J.R. Smith, Alex Caruso, those guys have been ass as well. So it depends. It it really depends on who the Lakers are going to throw out there. And Eric Spolstra, I don't know where it's gotten lost, but Eric Spolstra has time and time again proven that he is just a 
I don't even know if there's an adjective to describe him. I don't want to say fantastic because I've probably said it already like 37 times today, but I feel like it just doesn't properly describe what he's done as an NBA coach. This guy is arguably the best head coach in the league. Just there is not a flaw in his game plan. The fact that he's been able to take this team to the or help take this team to the finals. It, he's not entirely responsible, but he's definitely helped because, you know, he's the head coach. The fact that they've been able to accomplish this, it just it, it reflects so nicely on him. And he's really just, I think, going to deploy some really bizarre defensive game plans because although the talent margin isn't that wide, it's wide enough. And I think he's going to rely on shock value a lot of the times just to just to throw the Lakers off. Like, if the Lakers mess up a couple possessions here and there, that's going to be the difference in these games. I would be shocked if more, the, if more than two of these games were double-digit victories for either team. I'm thinking game one, one of these teams is going to get the jump. I mean, like, the Lakers might... It's going to go two ways. The Lakers are either going to blow out Miami because they've had more rest time than they did, or the Heat are going to blow out the Lakers just because they're more, they're already like in rhythm. And after that, I'm expecting seven games of just hard hitting, gritty, just filthy, sometimes damn near, damn near, do I say ugly basketball? I mean, I would love to watch just a slugfest between these two teams because the Miami Heat of course they play like they are pit bulls they are a team of just straight dogs like Jimmy Butler as that team's leader like they don't take no shit they do not fuck around they get to the point and I'm not saying the Lakers aren't that but they will be if they have to be I mean LeBron will not let this team go down without a fight that's if they even do go down again I'm leaning a little bit towards Miami just because they've proven to have the deeper, more cohesive unit, but it's it really is difficult to bet against LeBron James, and I might flip my decision later on. Like, I, I don't know. We'll have to see. So for right now, I'm picking Miami, but I am rooting for LeBron and the Lakers just because I know what this championship would mean to the Lakers organization and also the um just the NBA world as a whole to see the title go back to the Staples Center and just in the wake of what happened earlier this year with um Kobe Bryant and everybody involved in that horrific plane crash so again I'm picking Miami seven games heat upset I am however rooting for the Lakers and I just want to stay in the city of Angels yesterday Adrian Wojnarowski dropped this massive this just straight massive bomb i'm gonna head to his twitter right now he reported that doc rivers and the los angeles clippers will not be going forward with one another his in his actually his quote was coach doc rivers is out with the clippers sources tell espn just nobody Part of me, I don't think anybody actually, I know nobody expected this. I mean, look, the Clippers went out sad, they went out sad. Everyone knows this. This is not a surprise. 
They should not have been eliminated as early as they were. But Doc Rivers is an all-time great head coach. I don't think he's in the Hall of Fame yet, but he will be at some point. Just a fantastic, a fantastic shot caller. For the Clippers to move on from him, and also, I don't know it, I don't know who facilitated this decision. I imagine it would have to be the Clippers because, one, Doc Rivers, I think, would want to be able to run it back with this team. And two, he had two more years left on his deal. Like, it just, it doesn't make sense from them to move on. And what makes this decision even more perplexing is that there's nobody in the market who's better than Doc Rivers at right now. No disrespect to some of these guys, but Kenny Atkinson is not a better head coach than Doc Rivers. Nate McMillan is not a better head coach than Doc Rivers. Jeff Van Gundy, I think, who has been linked to the Clippers, is not a better head coach than Doc. Billy Donovan, recently signed with the Chicago Bulls, is not a better head coach than Doc Rivers. Any of the assistants that have been getting a lot of traction, Teron Liu, Ime Udoka from the Philadelphia 76ers, Becky Hammond, uh, really, it doesn't matter. There is no head coach who is, there is no either free agent head coach or prospective head coach who is better than Doc Rivers. Furthermore, Doc knew the roster. He knew the organization. He knew how to win with that team. Granted, it would it will look a little different next year because we don't know what's going to happen with Montrezl Harrell. We don't know who they're going to retain, who they're going to try to trade for because it's obvious that the team was broken. They were built to contend against the Lakers and did not even reach that point. Sad, but that's that's the nature of the NBA. Like, I, but even even still, I'm not giving up on Doc Rivers just because the team imploded. Like, it was their first year together. Granted, they shouldn't have went out so badly, but like, I, I, just, I just don't know. Oh, I want to get this out. How are you going to blame Doc for the Clippers' failures when, at least to me, a lot of their failures were rooted in their lack of chemistry. Everybody I talk to, anybody, whether it's on a podcast, conversation with the homies, the biggest issue I had with the Clippers was that their chemistry was trash. Whenever they took the floor, it felt like somebody was missing. And if those guys, if your core guys, the guys who are going to be on the floor late in the game, when it's on the line, in those clutch minutes, if they're not healthy and if they're not out there with each other, inevitably catastrophe is going to happen. And it happened. And I forgot who it was. I think it was Paul George. It was either Paul George or Lou Williams. After they got beat by the Nuggets, they said that chemistry was an issue. Duh. Like, you don't go out like that. As talented as you are, they should have beaten the Denver Nuggets. They should have. I don't care what anybody says. They were significantly more talented. They should have... That series shouldn't have gone more than six games or... How many games? I don't even know how many how many games it went, but the Clippers should have dispatched the Nuggets fairly easily. And maybe I'm discrediting what Denver has done, but just on paper, it should not have it should not have played out that way. And again, I want to shout, just congratulate the Denver Nuggets for a fantastic season. 
Um, they really just proved a lot of people wrong. I mean, that is a, a championship level team in the making. If they get another piece and in a couple of years, if Murray and Jokic are still together and they're a, a little older and they got some more experience, that team is going to be very, very dangerous. And I'm looking forward to watching them later on. But I think that's pretty much everything that I wanted to cover. Uh, we're at about, what, 40 minutes right now? 36 and a half and counting. Yeah, I mean, just... Oh, I got to pull up my fantasy, my fantasy league. Hold up, hold up. Yahoo Fantasy Football. Let's get this going. I really hope I don't have to log in. That would just be really fucking unfortunate. And I wouldn't want to make you guys... Oh, we're perfect. Oh, baby, let's go. So, week three in the NFL. Um, I didn't watch much NFL action on Sunday, so I'm not really abreast of going the goings-on around the league. I really only kept up with the people on, on my team, as you would expect. So, I'm back in the win column. Improved to 2-1 and one on the season. I want to thank Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the league right now. Might not win the MVP because shout out to Russell Wilson, but Mahomes is just light years ahead of everybody else. This guy is playing four-dimensional chess while everybody else is playing connect four. He's just, he's been magical. And the Chiefs are, I mean, I if they're not the favorites to win the Super Bowl, they should be. This team just looks unbeatable. They just mopped. They mopped the floor with the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson, who is a quality team. The Ravens are a quality football team, but enough of that. Mahomes, obviously the highlight, dropped a 40 bomb, had about 30 at halftime. Shout out to him. I went into that game, I think I was up five. I was up five points, and my opponent had Travis Kelsey going, and just having Travis Kelsey last year, I knew that he was going to get me 14 to 15 points every game. Sometimes he'd pop off, go for upwards of 20, and what happened? He gets 14.7. Most consistent tight end in the league. Probably the most consistent fantasy football player out right now. Great production from Amari Cooper and Calvin Ridley. Those guys have been just phenomenal. Um, Michael Thomas, again, was out. I wound up starting Nikhil Harry, who just did not perform. Granted, Cam Newton did not have that great of a game either, so obviously you can see how those two went hand-in-hand. Chris Carson put up a little less than 11 points, and then the rest of the team was just nothing to write home about. Leonard Fournette, uh, what's this guy? Dallas Schultz, I think his name is. What's his name? I don't even know his name. I'm sorry, bro. Dalton Schultz. I was close. Dalton Schultz had about nine points. Not bad for the tight end position, actually. Way better than Austin Hooper, who has just been trash this year. No disrespect, but Baker Mayfield is not... He, why does he have to throw Austin Hooper the ball? He's got Odell. He's got Jarvis Landry. He's got Nick Chubb. Like, There's really no reason for Hooper to be integrated into the passing game. Um, DeAndre Swift, three points, really nothing. <laughs> Young Hoku, eight points, although I'm going to have to drop him, most likely because he's just he's hurt. I think Yahoo says that he's going to misquote a significant amount of time or something. Michael on the IR. I really don't know. And then the Colts defense dropped 26, picked off Sam Darnold twice and brought it back to the house twice. Now, this game probably would have been over had I started Tony Michel, who went off for 16 after putting up like a point and a half the week before. That's just the, um, the volatility of fantasy football. Like, 
unless that running back is like Kamara or Zeke or a healthy Christian McCaffrey, it's like it's really a crapshoot. You don't know what type of production you're gonna get. But I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. Michael Thomas is supposed to be coming back. I'm look. This team's looking pretty good, man. I'm I'm trying to flip one of these wide receivers, and by one of these, I mean either Cooper or Calvin Ridley. I'd rather part ways with Cooper. I think that Calvin Ridley is the better receiver. I mean, he is a little bit more boomer bust, but he's had 300 yard games so far. He's really taken a lot of catches away from Julio Jones. And I I need an upgrade at the running back position. Chris Carson also might miss a couple of weeks and he's not even an RB1 to begin with, but that was something I knew when four of my first five, when I think it was three of my first four picks were receiver. No, I picked Michael Thomas first, then it was Mahomes. I think Chris Carson was my fifth pick. Like, but at that point, I had already made the decision to go after these elite receivers and kind of just let the running backs, um, just kind of let the running backs chill. I mean, if it weren't for that Michael Thomas injury, I'm sure I'd be three and zero right now. But what are you gonna do? And with that, I'm gonna close it out. I want to thank everybody so much for listening, for watching. If you were watching, as always, follow me on Twitter. Leave a like, leave a review, leave a subscribe if you like the content all that shit. Um, I will link everything that I'm doing down in the description and I will see you guys next week.